Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today, we're going to be talking to a favorite of the show, Matt Metris. He's always coming on the show to provide great insight about crypto, taxation, everything going on in the world of crypto. We can always rely on Matt to give us some good information. Thanks, Al. Always happy to be here and on the show. And just to get a chance to chat with you about crypto stuff, uh, I my name is Matt Metris. I'm an enrolled agent from Rochester, New York. I've been practicing in the crypto space since 2015-ish, uh, and it's pretty much the bulk of my practice. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MDM if you really want to get into the weeds on crypto stuff. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Yeah. And, and Matt, you're one of those guys. When somebody asks me a question, I have to say, listen, I'm not a tax pro, but I always pretty much defer to you. I always say you can ask Matt. And I'm sure that's annoying to you to keep sending you people, but I always defer to you. If somebody has a question about crypto and taxation, you're the guy I send them to. So as always, I appreciate your insight. I appreciate the knowledge you have in this space. So thank yeah, you. No, not annoying at all. I always wait to see if Andrew responds first. Though, he's <laughs> right. He's the other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and Andrew are the guys I tag. Correct. That's funny. Uh, we're going to talk about tax loss harvesting because it's not a great place in the crypto market right now, as everybody knows. So how can people take advantage of this not so great market in the crypto space in order to maybe save some money on their taxes moving forward? Yeah, if you uh, if your portfolio looks anything like mine right now, there's a lot of red in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's that but that comes with opportunity, right? So what we can do is, as you mentioned, it's called tax loss harvesting. And that means when you have an unrealized loss, so you have a position where the current value of the coin or token is less than you originally paid for it. That's called an unrealized loss. So it's unrealized because you haven't sold the coin, you haven't done anything yet. And so until you realize that loss, there's no tax benefit. You've just lost money on paper, basically. What tax loss harvesting does is realizes those losses. And it, this has existed for a long time uh, in the stock and equity world um, where you sell your losing positions to offset your gains. So you have the opportunity to realize these uh, down positions, take the tax loss. Uh, and then the big difference between crypto and stocks is that in the stock world, you have to wait 30 days before you buy the position back. There's something called the wash loss rule. As of now, the wash loss rule doesn't apply to cryptocurrency. Now, this is a little bit of a area where things could change. We saw in the Build Back Better bill uh, that failed in the Senate that they wanted to add the wash loss rule to crypto, but that did not pass Congress. So as of now, uh, it's not the law. So it could pass at any point in time. There's been rumors that they're going to bring that bill back before the end of the session, et cetera. But as of now, you should be good to go. Did you mention last time we chatted that that could potentially be retroactive? Yeah. So in theory, anything can be retroactive. Okay. Right. Um, and now that we're into June, end of June, it's much less likely uh, that it would be retroactive. When we were in January and February, I, I think there was a much higher chance of okay. you know, saying it was effective the beginning of the year. Right now, you know, there's the, the public opinion piece of it. If you pass something that's retroactive by seven months, that's adverse to taxpayers, mm -hmm. uh, that is going to not go over very well. Um, that makes so sense. I think it's becoming less and less likely, you know, as the time goes on, that it would be retro, but it's not outside the realm of things that could happen. Okay, good to know. I just know you had mentioned it last time. So that, that makes total sense that now that it's June, going into July, that it's pretty unlikely that they'll say, hey, it's retroactive. Sorry for your seven months of claiming, or, you know, selling crypto to, to make some losses. And, and the only other thing you have to watch out for is, is what's called the economic substance doctrine, which is just a provision of the tax code that says, 
you can't engage in a transaction solely for the tax benefits, which is what basically what we're doing here, right? We're selling it. Um, if you were to sell your loss to, you know, take your Ethereum that's at a loss and sell it and buy it back 10 seconds later, it's clear that you never really intended to exit that position. Um, and in theory, the IRS could come back and, and apply this doctrine to it and say your, your loss is disallowed because you did it only for the tax benefits. So what you need to be able to show is that you exposed yourself to some sort of market risk. Uh, we don't know how much time that is. That could be, um, you know, five minutes some days on when the market's really volatile. It could be a day. It could be a couple of days. So the longer you can wait before buying it back, the better of an argument um, you have. And again, this is not something we've seen enforced. It's just something that could be enforced um, if the IRS wanted to go that route. And it's important to note that, that doing this loss harvesting is, is to benefit you in the short term, right? If you're still long in these positions, it, it's going to have two consequences. It's going to reset your holding period. So that's something to think about if you're striving to get into long-term capital gains territory. Um, and it's also going, you're going to pay that tax back at some point, but the, the goal would be to get it into the long term. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a mortgage on your house uh, and you've paid that off and then you take out a home equity loan, you're pulling some of that money back out of your house to use in the short term, knowing you're going to have to pay it back again. And it's the same kind of concept with the loss harvesting. Now you're pulling those losses out now to reduce your taxes in the near term, knowing that eventually you'll have the same amount of gain as if you held through the entire time. Mm, yeah. So it's a potential strategy. It's not necessarily the right strategy for everybody, but it is a potential strategy that could allow you to save some money come tax now. Exactly. And if you're working with a tax professional, you know, obviously uh, seek their advice before doing that. On that note about tax loss harvesting, I've had a lot of people contact me and, and this is a regular question. And I've actually posed this question to you, I'm, I'm sure multiple times, but people are asking, you know, everything that's going on with Luna, people are saying, my Luna's worth nothing now. How do I claim that as a loss? What do I do? It's a rug pull. How do I claim a rug pull as a loss? And it's usually not a great answer we can give them, but can you talk about that a little bit, what people's options are or what maybe the misconception is that if you can't sell it, what do you do? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think you hit on something really important there, Sale. There's a, there's, from a tax standpoint, there is a huge difference between zero and nearly zero mm -hmm. or practically zero. So I just pulled up CoinMarketCap and Luna still has a value of, 0.000005 cents. Mm. <laughs> um, so there's it, that that's not worthless. Worthless mm -hmm. means literally worthless in the tax code. So there are provisions around stocks to abandon a worthless stock or security. Those do not apply to cryptocurrency because crypto doesn't meet the definition of the security in that section of code, which is section 165. Um, so you're kind of stuck and, and this applies to a lot of rug pulls. People want to take the loss and you can't always take the loss for a couple of different reasons. So we talked earlier about the unrealized losses. So you have to realize a loss to claim a capital loss. So if I'm holding a bunch of Luna still, I have to sell it. I have to, I have to dispose of it somehow to realize that loss. Um, and it may be a 99.999% loss, but that's still, that would be a capital loss if I were to sell it. And I think there is still tiny amounts of liquidity out there that you could find to sell your Luna. Um, in certain in certain rug pull situations, you have a, a token that's illiquid. Um, and that makes it a little bit more difficult because you do have to realize that loss. Um, in general, these types of losses would fall into what we call a theft or casualty loss, uh, if they're the result of a scam. Um, with, with the one caveat that there's some special provisions if something gets deemed a Ponzi scheme. But 
you know, everyone says all of crypto is a Ponzi scheme. That's a whole different story, but it has, has to be an actual Ponzi scheme. In a theft casualty loss situation, uh, under the current rules, the loss is not deductible unless uh, it's related to a federal disaster area or something like that, which is not the case for crypto. That means there are basically, you can't claim a casualty loss in crypto essentially, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, there's very few circumstances where you'd be able to claim this. And, and this is a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, or um, people remember it as the Trump tax bill in 2018 that made a whole bunch of changes to the tax code. And one of the ways they paid for some of these changes was eliminating the theft and casualty losses. Uh, so there's very rare circumstances where you can take a theft and casualty loss now. Um, two pieces of potential good news is that in 2025, the tax code is scheduled to revert back to the way that it used to be prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which would reinstate these casualty losses. Um, but you know, who knows? Congress likes to extend these things at the last minute and just keep them going. Also, uh, we talked about Build Back Better and, and that it didn't pass, but in that bill was a retroactive change back to 2018 that would allow for theft and casualty losses again. Um, so if that were to pass in some form and that was still in the bill, then you could go back and amend your returns where you had a loss like this uh, and be able to claim it then. All right, Matt. So we talked a little bit about the Build Back Better bill. Uh, there is a new bill. It seems like there's always a crypto bill on the horizon, but there was recently, I think within the past month or so, a bill that made a lot of headlines called the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, I believe. And maybe you can explain why. What was that bill about? Yeah, this is the most uh, comprehensive cryptocurrency bill we've seen to date uh, in the government. And, and what's interesting about this is it's bipartisan. It was sponsored by or written by uh, Wyoming Senator Cynthia Lummis and New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, um, which uh, outside of crypto have very, very different political views, right? Mm -hmm. So this is that, that bipartisanship uh, that may actually get this bill moving. And it's, it's almost 70 pages um, and it, it covers a lot. Where do you want to start on that? <laughs> I know there was something having to do with uh, basically a de minimis, but on spending crypto. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, the bill is not all tax provisions. It's a lot of other things as well. But from a tax standpoint, it has a couple um, big pieces to it. The first is a $200 de minimis exemption uh, if you are transacting and, and disposing of your crypto to purchase goods or services. So this does not include, you know, if I was going to take my um, Ethereum and swap it for Dracula Protocol, which is a favorite of Sal and I. <laughs> yes, um, a very successful. Very, un, very unsuccessful. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I meant. Unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah. So. If you were going to go to a website that takes crypto and, and purchase a good or a service that's less than $200, this would exempt that sale from capital gains. One of the biggest issues that we see with using crypto you know, as a day-to-day -day currency is that you have to keep track of your basis. So if I go and buy a $5 cup of coffee, I also have to figure out if I have a capital gain or loss on the, the Bitcoin or whatever I use to buy that cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so this is sort of... The idea is to bypass that. Um, there are some caveats in that, like you can't structure, you know, I can't buy a thousand dollar item as five separate uh, $199 transactions. Those would be considered linked together for tax purposes. And so it would still only apply to $200. So if I buy something more than $200, I would still have to figure out capital gain or loss the way I do now. In theory, this is a good idea, but I think from a practical standpoint, it's going to be messy. 
we're going to have to rely even more on software tools like bitcoin.tax mm -hmm. to tell us you know what lots were involved in these sales because they need to be removed from your basis you can't sell the same crypto twice um so you, you're still going to have to track all this stuff it doesn't really alleviate the tracking per se uh just some of the reporting yeah, it sounds cool. And, you know, maybe in the long run, if it, if it passes, it would be pretty sweet to have that exemption, that $200 or so exemption. That'd be nice. But what Matt is saying and what is inevitably true is that it's going to be even more of a headache. You know, and we try to make crypto tax as easy as possible. But of course, there is some complexity in it, especially if you're doing a lot of different stuff. This is going to make it even more complex. So just be prepared for that. With the good comes some not so good as well. Exactly. There's, there's always a catch to it. So let's talk about the, the mining and staking portion of the bill that also kind of uh, is a double-edged sword, but also made some headlines. Can you explain what, what happened with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, under the current rules, we know from notice 14-21 that mining is income at the time that you receive the block reward. That's been straightforward for almost a decade now. Um, and when that was written, there weren't really a lot of popular proof of stake chain. So staking wasn't something that the IRS addressed and they have not subsequently addressed it. Uh, so right as of now, the IRS has never said one way or another if staking should be included in gross income. Most tax professionals think that staking should be included in gross income because of the rules under section 61, section 83. Um, but there is an argument out there and a lawsuit out there. We've talked about the Jarrett case in the past and the Jarrett's are suing the IRS saying that they shouldn't have to pay tax on their staking income because it's the creation of new property. Uh, and the analogy that they use in the lawsuit is that a baker bakes a loaf of bread and they don't get taxed when uh, the bread comes out of the oven, they get taxed when they sell it. Mm -hmm. So either way, there's some ambiguity here as to whether or not staking should be taxed. So what this bill proposes is that both mining and staking would be not reportable as income until those assets are, are sold or otherwise disposed of. So that would defer the tax on any sort of mining or staking rewards. That would be quite controversial from a tax policy standpoint uh, because it does sort of create preferential treatment for miners and stakers um, without um, a lot of justification as to why they're including that position in the bill. I think the interesting thing about that, and I do bring this up a lot whenever this argument is made, whether you should do a zero cost basis or a fair market value, at the time of acquisition. And if you're doing a zero cost basis, it's like you said, you use the word defer. It's basically deferring your gains to when you sell them. So let's say I had a stake that was worth $100 and then I sold it for $200. That's a capital gain of $100, right? 200 minus 100, capital gain of $100. If I'm saying it's worth zero, uh, you know, then that's a capital gain of $200 because when I sell it for $200, I'm saying the cost basis was zero. So what I'm getting at basically is that you're going to be paying the same thing eventually anyway. You're going to be paying either more in gains or like half in gains and half in income. So it, it almost seems like it's not that big of a deal regardless because you're paying that money. Now, correct me if I'm wrong there. No, I think you have a, a solid point. There's a couple of fringe cases there that um, maybe they're not even fringe. One of the things is if I can claim a zero basis now and get everything in long-term long-term right that's right, going right, to save right. me some money that's the big nuance there right yeah and the other potential issue we see a lot you know we see these airdrops that are that are super high priced right um and then the price drops off later on so if i recognize let's say you know i don't know what ens is at right now but if i recognized you know 10 grand of income on the ens airdrop and it's currently worth three grand um 
I have a $7,000 loss there, but let's say that's my only crypto activity. I can only take 3000 mm -hmm. of it in the current year. So now I have this phantom income, so to speak. Um, so that's another potential problem that it solves, but it, it's just sort of the way that capital loss rules have always worked. So we just sort of deal with it. It's really good that you highlight those because it kind of counters the point that I'm making to a degree, but in my head, it's still not a huge difference between doing zero cost basis and doing fair market value because you're still paying regardless. People in the crypto space often are shocked by the fact that they have to pay a tax on their income and capital gains. They always think something is wrong with that, but that's just how taxes work in crypto. You have to pay on your income. You have to pay on capital gains. It's not double taxation. You're not ever being taxed twice on the same dollar. That's, um, you know, in that situation, you're, you're just dividing, you know, the whole $200 mm -hmm. that you had into two different buckets versus one. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and that's the thing to keep in mind. And that is, is a really hard concept for people who are not experienced in this area to understand sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And is there anything else in the bill that you think is noteworthy? Yeah, there's a couple other pieces in the bill. Um, there's a section around DAOs. Um, we're seeing a lot more DAOs being formed in the last year or so. Um, and DAOs come with a very unique set of tax problems. So right now, a DAO is not a federally recognized entity, right? And when we think of a DAO, a lot of times it's somewhere in between like uh, an LLC and a Facebook group. <laughs> there's, there's a whole spectrum hmm. of human organization between those two uh, where there is no real good legal set up. You know, there's some not-for-profit organizations, community group, that kind of thing um, in the 500s of the tax code. But generally, if you have a DAO that's engaged in a profit activity, it's going to be default to a partnership. Um, and this is a problem because all of your token holders then become general partners, which means you need to have KYC information for them. Mm -hmm. And you need to file a tax return in every state and or country in which they're physically located. So that can create a nightmare, logistical nightmare uh, as far as filing. So there's a lot of, you know, kinks to be worked out in the system with DAOs right now. Um, some states like Wyoming have a, a specific DAO registration. You can set up a DAO LLC, but for federal purposes, uh, it doesn't help. And so this bill would um, better define DAOs and how they're going to be taxed. Mm. And that wouldn't be retroactive, like all the people that are in a DAO currently wouldn't all of a sudden have to do a KYC, right? Nope, that, that would only be once the bill is passed. Got it, got it. Because I'm sure about 99% of those people would not want to do a KYC on that. Exactly. <laughs> and you said there was one other thing that uh, was of note? Yeah, I would just add that one of the big things this bill does is puts most cryptocurrencies under the jurisdiction of the CFTC, which is mm -hmm. the Commodities uh, Future Trading uh, Commission. And, and not the SEC. And that's been a fight between these two governmental agencies for quite some time as to who has jurisdiction between the CFTC and the SEC. And so that would be uh, interesting. Uh, the F CFTC is a much smaller organization with less enforcement mechanisms. So there would probably need to be additional funding put towards them and that sort of thing, but it remains to be seen. So far, you know, this bill came out on June 7th. Uh, it hasn't been any movement on it. it mm. It's unlikely that it's going to pass this session, right? Mm. We're, we're right now we're recording this at the end of June. Mm -hmm. um, and Congress goes on recess uh, in July. And then we're in election season. Mm -hmm. uh, so it seems fairly unlikely that that this bill is going to pass in the current session. So it seems that it's intended to be more of a discussion starting off point mm. uh, for the next Congress. Uh, to see how that shakes out. And we don't know, you know, which party is going to retain control of either the House or the Senate 
uh, this time around. So it'll be um, interesting to see how this plays out as we go forward. All right, Matt. Well, thank you as usual for giving us such a great explanation of these topics. Really appreciate it. And if anybody wants to find you, find you on Twitter or find you on social media or reach out to you, uh, what's the best option for them? Sure. Yeah. Twitter is the best place. Uh, and you can probably link that in the show notes because mm-hmm. it's spelled funkily. Um, BitcoinTaxes.me is the website, which no relation uh, <laughs> to Bitcoin.tax, uh, just a similar domain name. Uh, I'm occasionally on Reddit, but I haven't honestly haven't even been logging into Reddit as much because I've been working too much. Mm-hmm. So hopefully uh, summer will will alleviate that somewhat. Awesome. Well, uh, as usual, thank you so much, Matt, and look forward to chatting with you again uh, soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. You can find out more information about today's guest by going to talk.bitcoin.tax. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could give us a positive review on whichever podcast platform you listen to the episode on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening.